Welcome back to Nightmares and Dreamscapes, a Stephen King adaptation podcast. This season, we are talking about Apple TV's Lizzie's story, and I'm Joe Lipset. And I'm Terry Menard, and I've been meaning to mention the stupid lighthouse in the room for six episodes, and I keep forgetting <laughs> until it became central to the plot. Ah, uh, yes. How can we forget about the lighthouse when... I literally have taken notes every episode, like, what's up with this damn lighthouse? What's up with this damn lighthouse? And mm-hmm. I always forget to bring it up. Yeah, yeah. It feels like the only other real time we should have maybe brought it up is when it turned on when Darla came in and that was when Lizzie disappeared and then brought back the plant to try to convince her. I guess it's just, uh, I mean, it shows up in the um, in the Booyah Moon and that's mm-hmm. where I was like, I, I made a note. I was like, oh, it's in the Booyah Moon. And I meant to talk about these, these little things because it definitely, I've been thinking this entire time, this is definitely Chekhov's lighthouse, but mm-hmm. what is the what is the point besides it being in both worlds? Is it a double because that becomes an issue this episode mm-hmm. yeah i yeah before we get too far into it what do you think about the second to last episode joe no light no spark episode seven yeah our pen ultimate episode i'm not gonna lie terry i went into this feeling a little trepidatious because as we've talked about these last few weeks it has felt like this series is spinning its wheels a little bit not that it hasn't been enjoyable, just that it hasn't really felt like it's advancing. And if there was ever a time for the series (laughs) to start pulling it out, this is it. And I'm thankful to say that I really feel like this is maybe my favorite episode since possibly the pilot. Oh, yes. This was definitely my favorite episode of the series. Like I was immediately enthralled from the very beginning. This was a Mm -hmm. whole flashback uh, focused on Scott that actually really worked for me. Um, It ties into the present. It ties into Lisi. It ties into everything. I was in love with the beginning half of this of this episode. And then I was in love with the second half where we see things finally starting to come to a head between all of our main characters. And so, yes, I I do think the pilot really grabbed me in terms of just setting this really evocative uh, feel to the, to the show. And I really like the the episode with uh, Scott's backstory where we see what happened Mm -hmm. to Paul, but this one in particular for me is the best of the bunch. And I feel this is Stephen King firing on all cylinders for his writing uh, of a scripted television series. Oh, yes. And and I will have plenty to say about Mr. King and how <laughs> very Kingish this does feel when we get to uh, the soliloquy about what Lizzie should call Scott's passing. But uh, we'll get to that. I do agree with you 100%. As I said, it feels almost inevitable because if the series didn't do some of this now, it would have to do it in the final episode because if not, there's no other opportunities to pay it off. But it does feel like we're actually getting payoff, right? We finally learn what happened to Scott and how he died. We finally get to this confrontation with uh, Jim Dandy. And, you know, we finally take him into the Booyah Moon, which is what we've been speculating is probably going to happen for about the last episode or two. And it also feels like this series has retained the things that it was actually doing successfully. So like, I was happy to see that the humor between the three sisters was still mm. really present in this episode. I found it really funny and also really fucking tense. Like we've got a very direct silence, of the lambs homage, and mm. it was at, like actually scary, Terry. I, I was editing last week's episode just before I watched this and 
I complained how this isn't the scariest Stephen King story. Like I wasn't finding it very threatening or very dangerous or very horror-y. And like when he comes in and he straps on those night vision goggles, mm-hmm. I got a motherfucking chill. I just gave myself a motherfucking chill again. You just gave me one. <laughs> it's good stuff. And Pablo Larraín really stages oh. this confrontation so well that the murky darkness of the barn works in the favor of this plot in really, really great ways. We absolutely have to talk about Pablo Larraín in this episode and his cinematographer, Darius mm-hmm. Konji. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I apologize, <laughs> Darius. But uh, they are have pulled out the stops from the opening yeah. scene of this mm-hmm. of this episode with the gorgeous architecture of the the, the theater. The yeah. theater that he's at, where he's, there's a shot of him walking down the hall, and I'm just like gobsmacked at how beautiful it was and how perfectly staged it was to yes this final sequence was absolutely terrifying it gave me chills i got chills twice this episode that whole sequence of the way that everything is perfectly choreographed the music by clark the cinematography Mm -hmm. of him walking down in the bottom of half the barn while she's upstairs the lights go out the music comes in the editing between them oh it just it works so well for me it's so good it's so good and even you know i thought when she finally does drag him into the booyah moon i took a look at the clock because the scott stuff is 26 minutes Mm -hmm. of this 49 minute episode. So I thought, okay, I don't know how long this is going to take. And when Jim Dooley shows up at the barn, um, you know, I thought, okay, is there enough time for us to actually get this confrontation? Could we possibly do away with him in this episode? And when she takes him into Booyah Moon, there's six minutes left. So it is tight. I was surprised. I honestly thought that's where they were ending was in Booyah Moon, him standing up. And I was like, no, there is still going. And mm-hmm. it surprised me because that's not where Lisi's story would have ended in any of the episodes previous. It would have ended at right. that moment. And yet it continues onward. And I, yes, for another six minutes. And I was sitting there, is he going to mm-hmm. get off this episode? Yeah, and and even just paying off things like the long boy, like we we actually got close up shots. Mm. I never realized that those were screaming bodies moving oh, yeah. up the larger body. So this this episode is just giving us so many answers, but it's not like here's a payoff and now you need to be satisfied. It's like paying it off, doing it gorgeously, doing it terrifyingly, doing it with humor. This episode. It's a banger. You're right. You know what? This is better than the pilot. This is the best episode of the series so far, by far. Gosh, yeah. I just, I, and I loved, I love that we got to see more of the long boy. I love that the long boy is the reason, in a way, that Scott yeah. is dead dying because he kept didn't walking his coming. off. No, didn't see it coming either. And I love that this idea that, you know, Scott has for this entire series said that, you know, the Landons are fast healers and, you know, talking mm-hmm. about this, but it's actually catching up to him. And you can kind yes. of see that this this pool has been keeping him alive. But mm-hmm. there comes a point where he couldn't run from it anymore. And it was a, such a, a tragic opening to this to this uh, episode, just watching mm-hmm. the the wounds reappear on his body and the blood part starting to pump out and him vomiting water all over the stage. Like, oh, wow. It really affected me. Yeah. Um, I initially thought, oh, God, this is King once again returning to doing some kind of action as a bit of a motif and just leaning on it too hard. So the coughing started to grate on me. And then I realized, you know, 
when when Scott disappears in the bathroom and we've got his frantic assistant pounding on the door, I thought, mm. okay, cool. Let's let's wrap this this bit up. Like I I didn't really understand what the purpose of any of it was. And then when he starts coughing again on stage, I just realized, oh, okay, now we're witnessing a tragedy. And for him to publicly more or less die on mm. this stage. Like, sure, he makes it to the hospital. He has enough time for this brief encounter with Lizzie, but really he goes down in front of an auditorium full of fans. And we saw, you know, we we see the crowd outside. We see the theater manager say, oh, I've never seen an author get treated like this before. Star on the door. Yes, it really helps to sell just how important Scotland and actually is because really all we've seen before is people like Jim Dooley, who let's be real, cannot be trusted when it comes to their star fucking fanboy worship. And I, I just really liked everything that this was doing once I understood what the purpose was. I love that he's he's literally treated like a rock star in this. Mm-hmm. He he gets the sort of walking out the, the adoring crowd. I was I was kind of surprised no one tried to offer up their titties for him to sign. Like it was, <laughs> it, this was this was like complete rock star territory. And it reminded yes. me of the way that people would talk about kings, particularly back in like the eighties and nineties. I could see mm-hmm. this being a sort of lifestyle that the king found himself accustomed to at one point and yeah. i love that even with all of this happening there is still the man that is walking kind of almost like a shark through the crowd and Ooh. hands him the wand and the mm-hmm. wand is made of bodies just like the long boy and so there's there's that okay. moment there where i was like there's a connection here and i was i was wondering how this is all going to tie together but it i just i, I loved this opening sequence so much Mm-hmm. because of that yeah, it it's expertly staged and really well shot in terms of giving us a sense of scott's rock star personality but you're right the theater has a kind of majesty to it as well and that really helps to sell the kind of fantasy life that scott is accustomed to and it makes us understand the hero worship that much clearer as I said, I do think it also lends a certain air of tragedy to what happens to him. Um, like one of the things that I really took away after he collapses and we get Julianne Moore's Lizzie coming to the hospital, like she gets taken through back entrances yeah. because she's like the celebrity's wife. And then she gets into this private hospital room, which looks like it's been designed by David Cronenberg from the 80s <laughs> with its weird synth lighting in the background. And this room is fucking huge. And I just think, oh, okay, we're really setting a sense of grandeur uh, with regard to this man. Like he is, he is a public figure. And it really then translates into the second half of the episode when we get that telltale line from Julianne Moore about why he never dedicated a book to her and why they had to keep certain things private in order for their marriage to last. And I was like, there there it is there is fucking lizzie's story finally it's not about scotland and it is about lizzie yeah um sorry that was a lot (laughs) that line that little monologue that she gives is just it like it really tied everything together for me because we've we've spent the last six episodes wondering you know why is this called lizzie's story Mm -hmm. why is it called lizzie's story and she's talking about how uh amanda asks 
was a book ever dedicated to you? And yeah. she said, I asked him not to. And then everything changed once he became famous and you have to keep a private part to the marriage, a secret part. And if we didn't have that, we'd never would have survived this rich and famous shit. And mm-hmm. I just, I love that line because <laughs> I, I do, I do think about it in terms of, I mean, it's impossible to think about this without thinking about Stephen King and his oh, wife, yes. Tabitha. Yes. And I just, I thought about this, this line and about that kind of secret part and about the need for privacy, because if you mm-hmm. have a life where you are literally walking through and being adored by people and you are being treated as if you are fucking Mozart or, you know, fucking Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails, you need mm-hmm. to have some kind of core that you're keeping to yourself otherwise you yeah. will get consumed by that and so that that line the fact that there might be I, i'm a little confused as to what lisey's story is the, the physical object of it yeah. is that something we're going to figure out in, in the next episode mm-hmm. yeah i also had questions because really until lisey says her retort i worried because amanda says you know he he whispered something to me i remembered he said that he had a story, Lizzie's story. And I thought, if this fucking series is going to dial back to Scott wrote a story called Lizzie's story, and it still comes back to Scott, I'm going to be really mad. <laughs> and I think increasingly what we're discovering is that Lizzie's story are the events that we're watching unfold. And this is the story of how she comes to find her place within his world, but also how she also discovers her own agency, right? Because she has this man that she has to get rid of. Whether or not this ends up being something like Scott foresaw everything and has typed it out and then she publishes it in the finale. Oh my I god. I really hope not. Oh my god, Joe. I think <laughs> I would be surprised if you literally just said how this the series is gonna end. Yeah. I I would rather it be that she survives this and she writes it. And this is what she publishes and puts out into the world instead. Because of course, so much of the Dane DeHaan character has been, you're just the wife, you're the extra, you're not a real, like you contributed nothing to You're not a poet. Mm -hmm. He says, he goes on this whole thing about, you're not an artist, you're not a poet, you were just sleeping with him. Yep. Yep. yep, Why won't you share, share with the world. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, the one person that she's not going to be sharing anything with is the cop. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so much for our forecasting that she's going to end up dating that cop because that is unceremoniously undone here. Hey. Uh, yeah, I was. Would, well, I, and I kind of figured that this was going to happen the moment that he showed back when up. When he pulls back like, up, you're like, oh, fuck. Okay. You're done. I just had a funny feeling. And like, oh, well, <laughs> all right, dude. Was it a you're bullet? Funny fe- <laughs> right. Was that a tingle in the back of your head because a bullet's going to exit it? Because that Ooh. was unceremonious. Mm-hmm. That was like, oh, well, you're gone. Yep. But I love the way it was shot. Hey, oh. where we've got the overhead and we just like hear the shot see the the glass break and then we go kind of through the broken window mm. to see Jim Dooley admiring his handiwork. Yeah. Honestly, everything about this episode felt revitalized in terms of the direction. It felt inspired. Yeah. Absolutely inspired. That that's a perfect word for it. Okay, so you'd mentioned the humor and I did enjoy the banter between the sisters again, particularly yes. the we need a code word. And Amanda's like, ah, a safe word like SNM. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, his definition of his definition of Randy or or sex play was keeping your socks on. <laughs> oh, so uh, so uh, 
There's a really good, just kind of quiet, understated zingers going on here. Even, you know, the the obvious, I have to go to the bathroom, but well, you're in the right place. You're an adult, <laughs> yeah. you can just hold it. Darla won't let me. <laughs> it, it really gives us some insight into what the relationship is between these three sisters. And it's funny, and it's great, and you're thinking, oh my god, these talented fucking actresses. And then it gets scary. And all of a mm. sudden, I was so fucking worried i was gonna lose one of these amazing women and then watching them it it was kind of like the episode where we had to watch julianne moore get the shit beaten out of her for about 20 minutes except then it was all three of them terry oh my god yes when they tackle him he Mm -hmm. is punching them he is headbutting them he is like this is like it's not holding back he's punching darla he's headbutting amanda they're rough and tumbling she's Mm -hmm falling over the couch getting choked like it's it's not holding back which i kind of appreciated and i think one of the things that surprised me the most is that i always feel like we're gonna pull punches when it comes to actresses of a certain age like Mm -hmm. we're not gonna show julianne moore get choked nearly to death and yet this is the second time that we've seen this on this series like the show is unafraid of saying just because you like this Oscar nominated actress, it mm. doesn't mean that we're not going to beat the shit out of her. And all three of them. I mean, I did never expected. I mean, I, we kind of thought last episode that one of them was probably might die, but like mm-hmm. I didn't expect to see Jennifer Jason Lee getting headbutt. I didn't expect no. to see Joan Allen get like decked. I didn't expect to see any yeah. of this. No. And I love that it took the physicality and it, it just, it staged this as a regular fight scene and mm-hmm. it used their entire, higher bodies it didn't it wasn't like saying well these are older women or anything like that it was Mm -hmm. she's taking a shot at him they're punching they're full body tackling him i just was like this is this is a great climax for this episode uh and kind of i i honestly think for the series i don't i'm I'm kind of wondering that if we're gonna even have a little bit i mean obviously he's still alive but i think that this was like the big yeah climactic moment and the rest is going to be almost like a a denouement or the kind of resolution to the big action sequence but it just it it worked for me and it pulled everything together and it it was still funny like i was mm-hmm. kind of laughing when they tuckled him and she's like get away from her you fucker and they're shooting and there's like punching yeah. it just it worked i i definitely want to commend this because this is not the kind of thing where you just say uh okay we're going to turn the camera on and people are just going to do what they want this is obviously choreographed but it has an authenticity to the rough and tumbleness of mm-hmm. it right like you said, these actresses are of a certain age, but they are doing things that are believable that uh-huh. their characters would do despite or maybe in spite of that. And I I just really liked it because that made it feel more real and therefore more dangerous. I, I love that you talk about that it that it was it's obviously choreographed, but it doesn't feel that way. It definitely felt scrappy in, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Now I do have a complaint and I've had this complaint okay. <laughs> about any show that uses night vision goggles. Okay. How can you not see those two bright beats of light? Right. <laughs> I don't I, understand. I don't know either. I don't know if that's for our benefit as audiences and maybe you don't get to see those in real life. I don't know. I've played enough Splinter Cell to see that there is uh little beans of green light when Sam mm. Fisher puts on his night vision goggles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> little video game reference right there. I think it's just for the <laughs> cinematic purposes, yeah. But oh boy, um 
if you could have heard the gasp that I elicited when he put those on, because I didn't, I mean, I expected him to pull the power. When he does that, you think, okay, sure. Now we've got a bit more of an even fight. It's three against one, but he's got the darkness. And then he puts those on and I just thought, oh, okay, this could be bad. And then I love their confrontation between the two of them because you know that Lizzie wants to get close enough. She needs to have that physical contact in order to bring him with her. I thought that she was just going to try to like grab him and suck them in. Mm. But I love the use of the lighthouse as a distraction mechanism and also just the way that she is no longer willing to take shit from him. Like this feels like a really great moment of not just agency, but like realization for Lizzie. It worked because first of all, we get a little bit of exposition in, in such a climactic mm-hmm. way because she's talking about how he's from Tennessee. Yeah. The guy that shot Scott is from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. They probably shared a cell together. I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I like that. We're relying on mental illness for this. Yeah. Um, but Taking that out and 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 putting it to the side, right, compartmentalize. The that, yep. Let's compartmentalize that for a moment. <laughs> the way that she is egging him on and is mm-hmm. insulting him, and I, I, it got me worried. I was like, "Oh, don't don't do this. He has a gun. He's going yes. to fucking shoot you because yeah. it's obvious that he is there to kill you now. Yeah. This isn't a." Oh, I'm going to take my books and leave. This is mm-hmm. you're going to fucking die. The moment he shot the cop outside. Even oh, before the light goes off, it's like this yeah. this guy is is not gonna leave here with you mm-hmm. alive. Someone He's is there going for a body to be count. Dead. Exactly. And so like we are seeing this kind of connection here, and it's tying it all together in a way that is informing his character, also giving her her own agency and her coming into her own, as you had mentioned before. Yes, absolutely. And I did like that tying in, like again, I think that's such smart teleplay by King reintroducing this notion that it's not just Jim Dooley. It's not just the guy at the library opening ceremony. These are figures that Scott and Lizzie were encountering regularly to the point that they actually had a nickname for these kinds of characters. And I really think that that's, it's vital for showing us that this isn't just an isolated incident. And I think it reinforces again, Lizzie's notion that they had to keep certain things private because the public figure was having to deal with this kind of scary stuff. And when we originally started talking about Lacey's story way back in the first episode of this, um, I had mentioned that, you know, that Stephen King had a couple runs at run in with people mm-hmm. in terms of people breaking into their house in terms of someone, you know, standing in front of their kitchen, holding um, what he said was a bomb. So like, this is really tying together all of these events that feels both real in yeah. our world and also real for Scott Landon's situation. And it really, as you said, informs the fact that they did need to keep a part of it private to survive the fame and the fortune. Yes. But also the people out there that are attracted to that kind of fandom and that fame. Mm-hmm. So let's, talk about what happens at the end of this episode so they they manage to get him into booyah moon Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna lie the minute she picked up that shovel i thought okay (laughs) so not a memorial for scott no (laughs) i took that same note she left her fucking maniac killing weapon in the booyah moon because she had this plan all along so that was a nice payoff what did you think of this kind of call and answer it reminded me almost of a spider luring 
prey into the web, right? Because she knows what the Booyah Moon is capable of. She knows that the long boy is there. She knows to raise her voice. Jim Dooley doesn't know any of this. And I, I thought that interplay was fascinating because really it's like we've now gone into this alternate world and now I have the upper hand, you fucking asshole, even though she's only got one hand now. Oh, rip that broken hand. That also looks painful, by the way. Yes. Uh, No, you're, you're right. This was another case of the editing and the cinematography really working out because it's played as if like she is looking for, um, for Jim Dooley. Cause Mm -hmm. we get the shot of like the two of them separated by the growth. Uh, I love that one. Yeah. Yes. And she's like walking through and she's like, you know, where are you, you know, trying to like build up noise when, turns out that she is actually looking for the long boy. And I mm-hmm. love that moment of like, all of a sudden he is moving through the trees and she goes, there you are. And it's like, uh, that, that's, the moment, that's the one that gave me, that gave me like uh, chills again. Cause I was yes. like, shit, this is like, yes. Cause it's, it's not her looking for Jim to like bash him in the head with the shovel. Mm-hmm. It's, she is looking for that fucking long boy to tear him up. And I yes. loved it. And again, I think it's smart and clever to connect that front half where Scott talks about how Booyah Moon is this place of creativity, but he also uses it to repair his failing health around the gunshot from a previous mentally unwell fan, and that he is prevented by the long boy because he was touched by Paul in that previous episode. So we we know that the long boy is this figure who basically ended up taking Scott away from Lizzie. Mm-hmm. And here she's turning that dichotomy against Jim Dooley by saying, all this guy needs to do is touch you. And the likelihood is, is that we're going to see him just get ripped apart in this finale. Oh, got it. But even if he manages to get back to the real world somehow by being touched by the long boy, we know that it will only cause him death eventually. Yeah. He's, he's going to be screwed no matter what. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's just a lot of fun. I also think that the blue moon looked more convincingly real than other episodes. I have a question about that because this is the first time because it's established it's been established already that the buoy moon always has a a specific time of day that it's at and Mm -hmm. that moon is blood red well it wasn't blood red no it was blue what is what is this trying to say here joe i was intrigued by that as well because i thought oh maybe it's just a production error but then as we see the long boy getting closer you start to see red light hitting the foliage Mm. so that by the time she actually says, there you are, we're we're seeing that the blood moon maybe has risen. The only thing I could think of is that maybe there's two moons, like one on opposite end. And usually we're just seeing the blood one. I, I don't know. I'm speculating wildly. I was kind of wondering if this was pass, if this was a passage on to her. Because we've not seen her in the Booyah Moon since Scott's death, I do not believe we have seen. Uh, the, the one time that you left the shovel. Oh, good point. Never mind. I don't know. <laughs> I just like I was. I was wondering if this was like a, a passing on of this idea that you know that. But I, I guess it doesn't really belong just to Scott anyway. So that's probably a silly idea. I don't know. <laughs> I but it was perplexing to me. I definitely took a note of why is this moon blue now. Well, uh, let's face it, there's still a lot of question marks about what this other Mm. world can do, what it represents. 
I won't lie, the person who desperately desires answers in me was so frustrated when Amanda was like, I don't want to talk about the other figures in there. And I'm like, God damn it, can you just throw us a fucking bone here? Oh my God, when she and she even gives him a name like the Shrouded Ones. Mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, this is creepy. Tell, Tell me more. more. <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more. No, I'm not going to. No, apparently not. I mean, these are all the kinds of things where I hope that if we do end up in some kind of denouement situation next week for the finale, I'm hopeful that we will use some of that time to flesh a little bit of this out. I don't know. I don't know what to expect in that regard, though. I do wonder. Okay, so one of the things that that has popped up a couple times is this idea of double, of doubles. Mm-hmm. That you know that Scott was a double, that Amanda was a double. Yes. So I'm wondering if that's why he is sitting there. I'm wondering if all the people that are like entranced and at the pool are people that mm-hmm. were doubles for whatever reason. And that's right. why she sees him there because obviously he is dead. So yes. I'm wondering if, if that's why we're seeing him there. I'm wondering if all those other people that are sitting there are people that have either a been stuck there, be- like Amanda was stuck there or mm-hmm. B have died. And now it's their double lost in this world. I think that's a very safe assumption to make based on the information that we have and also because i don't know how much more we're actually going to get from this because at the end of the day who those people are is not it's not a priority in terms of what story we're telling specifically with lizzie and jim dooley and the sisters but as intriguing world building stuff yes i i would love to know more If that's as much as we get, I think your reading of it is like spot on. I just was like sitting here like thinking there has to be a reason for it. And like you Mm -hmm. said, maybe maybe they will. Maybe it'll be another exposition dump as she's explaining the world to Dooley before his untimely end. Maybe something like that will happen. But yeah, yeah, I I don't know. Part of me does want to know simply because this is a J.J. Abrams produced, you know, thing. And I want to know, are you going to are you going to stick that landing? Are you going to connect it to anything too, right? That That's mm-hmm. all. the other problem with J.J. Abrams is that we may not get answers now and then we'll get some random throwaway line in a future project that he <laughs> makes. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of the people who are writing this show, Terry, can we talk about the monologue of oh. death colloquialism? <laughs> we absolutely can because I wrote them all down. <laughs> Okay, lay it on me, Mr. King. Do I say you kicked the bucket? Do I say you popped off? Are you eating a dirt sandwich? Are you riding the mystery train? That was my favorite. I I like that one as well. Did you bite the big one? Pop your clogs? Bought the farm? I don't know. What do I say? (laughs) What do you say, Joe? Um, I have heard dirt farm in real life, and I think it's kind of rude. I think it's amusing. It's a, it feels very king to me. Oh yeah. But I think it also is a really nice segue into her complete emotional breakdown. We see her upset at the hospital and then we see her doing this kind of mass cleaning out of the office mm. which am I <laughs> am I sort of like compartmentalized mind I just let maybe now isn't the best time to be doing this. Maybe just wait to start throwing away whole sections of your husband's like carefully curated office. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think a, this episode on the whole is a really great showcase for Julianne Moore. 
And I think in particular for getting us to sympathize with an occasionally unsympathetic character, that transition into kind of glib, how do I fucking address the idea that you have just left me? What do I call that? To then utter emotional breakdown as she just begins to cry. I I actually found it very moving. This whole sequence from him telling her that I was lost in the dark and you found me to the funeral shot it is mm-hmm. it's like following her through the the funeral Ooh, over the yes. funeral and then following her through the memorial afterwards or mm-hmm. whatever i don't remember what i don't know what you call it the wake, you, the wake. afterwards when no one seems to be paying attention to her they're yes. all having their awkward conversation even darla looks at her but then turns away and looks mm-hmm. and she is by herself in her grief moving through these crowds with us terry with yes. us it, it's us and her. That's yes. why I was like, oh, this is this lazy story, right? It's us sharing this moment with us and her seeming to address us every time she looks back. Are you still following oh, yeah. me? Are you still here with me? Are you here with my grief? Do you see yes. Do you see why it's been mm-hmm. so hard for me to, to look at the Booyah Moon, to think about all this mm-hmm. other stuff because this is real fucking life. Yeah. And it's that moment then followed with, oh, her smashing the the typewriters, throwing them away. Oh. You hear them crunching and she mm-hmm. is just throwing she just them does not away. Care. Yeah. These symbols of the things that mm. cost her the person she loves the most, right? His yeah. writing equipment, his books, yeah. his fucking boats. <laughs> Those fucking boats. Yeah, that that whole sequence and then and then followed up with the you know the the monologue about the mystery yeah. trains and and all that kind of stuff. It it actually really worked for me. And then yes, it gets a little bit of a writerly where she says no light, no spark. I don't know if anyone in real life is going to be standing there saying that, but it felt mm-hmm. like a perfect encapsulation of what had just happened in the way that King is able to write. Yeah. Yeah. And This, I imagine, looks really good on paper and is Mm -hmm. a little bit harder to play out in real life. But again, I think it foreshadows when she is baiting Dooley in the Booyah Moon and she's reiterating that this isn't coincidence, this Mm -hmm. is real life, this is Ralph the Dog. I thought, again, this is like, it's smart and it's calling things back. And yes, it's ridiculous, but in the right kind of Stephen King way. Yes. And I do think that there is like a a connection here. If Scott is giving her a gift at this very end, it's the fact that she saved him regardless Mm -hmm. of how he, you know, ended up dying. She saved him. She, she, he tells her that. And now in a way it's his life that is saving her now. And Mm -hmm. so there is a nice little bit of like, you know, cross section here as things are coming together of like, you saved me. Now it's my turn to give you the tools so that you can go save yourself and mm-hmm. live a life. Yes. Without the policeman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So we have one episode left. We do. What the fuck is going to happen in this finale, Terry? Oh boy. Oh boy. I, <laughs> uh, Dooley going to die. He's going to yes. get, Hopefully, as you said, torn apart by by the long boy. I w- I uh-huh. want I want to see bodily harm inflicted on this pain. Asshole. I want to see pain on Dame Dehan. Yes, um, I I think we might get a little bit of closure with the Booyah Moon, and I think somehow we're going to hopefully get this idea of what Lisey's story is. Whether that is she keeps the story to herself, whether mm-hmm. that is she becomes the writer and she continues on as like a writer in her own regard. Mm-hmm. I want to see her succeed. I want to see her be able to hold on to 
Scott, but also become her own person. Yeah. So I'm hoping that's what we're going to see. What about you? I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth because that's <laughs> basically what I'm hoping for as well. I, I'm intrigued if only because I know that this next episode is full length. It's one of the longer mm. ones since the midway point of the season. But I also feel like we've run out of flashbacks because really these last couple of episodes have been very heavily dominated almost to the halfway point by these significant flashbacks. And I feel like we now have to live in the present day unless we get, you know, kind of cutesy reminders of her life with Scott and how she is going to move forward beyond them. I guess the only other thing that I'll add is that it felt like a bit of an Easter egg that she does ask Amanda what the significance of the yellow cardigan sweater blanket is. And I wonder if we're going to figure out where and how that came to be and why it was so important to Scott. Mm. I don't think yeah. it's, it's not huge, but I was like, uh, why are we bringing this up now? Of all it's a times? dangling plot thread that yeah. I'm hoping that since, like you said, they bring it up that they kind of stitch that back together and make mm-hmm. a, another Afghan out of. Yeah. Just stitch it up, stitch looks, it all together. <laughs> looked really comfy. <laughs> it does. It looks delightful. If I could buy a, a tie in, I would. <laughs> You hear that Apple TV? We we want we want to buy Scott Landon Afghans. There we go. Yes. Thank you. Mustard is not my color, <laughs> but I would wear it happily. You would rock it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Terry, if people have guesstimations or if they want to talk more about what the significance of the non-blood moon could be, how would they get a hold of you? Um, you could reach out to me on Twitter at Gaily Dreadful. And Joe, if people want to know what your safe word would be, and if it is Green, green Lawn, how can they reach you? It is actually Socks On, but you can find me at... <laughs> so vanilla. <laughs> so vanilla. But you could find me at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. And uh, yeah, so this wraps up another episode of Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Big shout out to the Anatomy of a Screen Pod Squad Network for hosting the pod. And uh, yeah, I guess until we're ready to come back for one more trip to the Booyah Moon, Terry, I will see you with my night vision goggles on in the dark. And I'll just be in the bathroom needing to pee. Okay, cool. Yeah, unless Jarvis says no. squad.